Hello, welcome to Time of Death. I'm Riss. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Dee. I'm the other host. And this is episode 16. If you're new here, we're two nurses with psychiatric and medical backgrounds, and we like to discuss true crime cases from a nursing perspective. Um, so either cases with a heavy medical influence or cases that involve uh, medical professionals. Do you have anything to add? Let's get into it. Perfect. So without further ado, we'll get into our case today. So today we're going to be talking about Autumn Klein. Any relation to Donald? No, this is a different spelling entirely as well. K-L-E-I-N, Autumn Klein. That was a throwback to a previous episode that Riss did, if you guys want to go check that out. Yeah. The. The C-L-I-N-E. Yes. (laughs) A very potent fertility doctor. Yes, very true. So, Autumn was a rising star in women's neurology until her tragic death in 2013. Autumn had always wanted to be a doctor. She grew up and was very close with her cousin Sharon King, who remembers her and Autumn playing doctor together, using their stuffed animals as patients. Very sweet. Autumn was always at the top of her class while growing up in the Baltimore area. And Sharon remembers her as being so smart, so intelligent, and so kind. So Autumn ended up getting her undergraduate in neuroscience at Amherst College. And after that, she told her family she wanted to go to Boston University School of Medicine. Her mom, Lois Klein, said that she was so proud of her, but she was a little bit worried about the crime rate in Boston. But Autumn's mind was fixed on Boston, and she applied and got in. So it was at Boston University School of Medicine that she met Robert Ferrante. He was a research colleague of hers. He was very accomplished. He was considered a genius by his peers. He held a PhD in neuroscience, and his work centered mostly on looking for cures for ALS and Huntington's. But he was 23 years older than Autumn. He was also divorced, and he had two adult kids. But the two were very interested in each other, and he and Autumn started dating. Autumn's mom was a little hesitant because she did not like that age gap. Mm -hmm. But Sharon, who's Autumn's cousin, said that her first impression of him was that he was a nice guy. He was charming, a little bit nerdy. So the same weekend that Autumn was set to graduate from med school, Mm -hmm. the two got married. Oh, boy. And... Shortly after, they lived outside of Boston, and a few years later, they ended up having a baby girl and naming her Sienna. Autumn is working as a neurologist at this point, and she's focused on mainly neurological ailments in women. Mm -hmm. And quickly, she becomes very well-regarded. She's seen as a leader in the field, and actually, she was interviewed by Discovery Channel for her expertise. So she had a great reputation. Her mm-hmm. career was really starting to bud. Awesome. So as time goes on, Autumn starts getting a little bit frustrated with Boston. And she feels like she isn't really reaching her full potential. She is nationally recognized as a leader in her field at this point, but feels like she can do more and there's more room for her to grow. Mm-hmm. And in 2011, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center made a crazy good offer. 
that Bob could work in a research lab there and that Autumn could be the chief of the Division of Women's Neurology. Wow. So they're like, this is perfect. They take it. They accept the offer. And the family of three relocate to Pittsburgh. Is Rob supportive of her and, like, her efforts to advance her career? I think career-wise, yes, but we'll get into more about their relationship later on. On the outside, it looks like a very healthy, normal relationship, um, but we'll delve more deeply into the underbelly. So the two start working in Pittsburgh, and she's enjoying her new position. She enjoys working with the patients. Dr. Karen Roos, who is her colleague there, recalled that Autumn was so happy to be in Pittsburgh, and she loved her patients and was really enjoying her new position. As time goes on, Autumn and Robert, or Bob as we'll call him, they want a second child. So Autumn is in her early 40s at this point. Bob, remember, is 23 years older, so he's in his early 60s. -hmm. But the two are trying, and Autumn ends up using fertility treatments, and they're having no success with it. And I think this is starting to make Autumn feel very discouraged. Lois reports that Autumn seemed down, didn't seem like herself, and... I think it was mostly a disappointment that there was no luck yet. Mm. And she, she's also someone that is following through with all the goals that she's setting for herself. Exactly, yeah. I'm sure that it had a different mm-hmm. high achiever and wanting this, I'm sure, very, very badly to yeah. control. I agree. I agree. So in 2013, early 2013, a fertility doctor said that creatine might help them conceive. I've never heard that. That's so weird. Yeah, I know. So Bob had been using creatine in his lab. It seemed like Bob thought it was a really good idea, but I think that Autumn was more on the fence about it. Like she Mm -hmm. hadn't heard much about about it, but there were also strains in their marriage, which we'll talk about as well, Mm -hmm. that I think maybe contributed a bit as well. But for those of you that don't know, creatine is an amino acid. It's found in animal proteins like meat, fish, dairy. It's used by our cells to make energy for our bodies. And oftentimes it's used by athletes to help with muscle performance. And actually, research is going on, which I I had no idea about this. Research is going on currently in regard to supporting neurological health in patients with Parkinson's, major depressive disorder, and fatigue even. Wow. Which makes sense because it's really helping supporting like the building function of cells. You know what I mean? Like, it's just interesting to me. But So the gym bros have the best mental health. So, so today, actually, it's, it is used often when trying to conceive and during pregnancy to mm. help supplement mom's diet and increase, actually, the likelihood of them having a healthy birth. Wow. It is relatively new when used when trying to conceive. More so, I think it's used, like, during pregnancy labor and afterward Mm -hmm. when trying to conceive evidence has shown that it helps with energy production and reproductive tissues like sperm and the endometrium of the uterus which is the like inner lining of the uterus Mm -hmm. and the placenta so sperm uses creatine to produce energy during the fertilization process and on the other hand the endometrium uses creatine when a fertilized egg implants into the uterus so for all intents and purposes, it's shown so far to be pretty 
helpful in conceiving a child. Yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah, I never heard of that. And also, interestingly, research shows that it protects the newborn's brain and actually decreases the chances of developing issues like cerebral palsy. And it's pretty well tolerated by the people who use it. Um, the ac- Any excess creatine that's consumed is eliminated mm-hmm. through the kidneys. So typically it's well tolerated and people don't have very many side effects from taking the creatine. Oh, that is so cool. That yeah. I think that someday down the line... I'll be chugging mouthfuls. It's like a powder, right? Yeah. It is a powder. Like, I I know a lot of gym bros <laughs> do use it. Creatine. Let me add this to my shake yeah. so I can get big muscles. Our brother goes to the gym. I wonder if he uses it. I don't know. We'll have to ask we'll him. We'll have to tell him. We'll have to ask him. I don't know, but it makes me more interested in trying it. Maybe for our fatigue, we could do a trial run with creatine. I'm just going to, like, inhale it. I'm going to just... <laughs> Scoop it down, shove it down your throat, and then just chase it with some water. Yeah, that's yeah. what the gym bros do. Yeah, I think I literally, powder. That I see them buying like these ba- like barrels of freaking protein powder at the store, and I'm like, it has to taste like I'm someone that has to taste good. Like if it doesn't yeah. taste good, I'm not. So hopefully they have like a cherry flavored creatinine or cherry. Something. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm thinking like making like a smoothie. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. You know what's really good, too, not to get off topic, but I use spirulina and chlorella. Oh, yeah. Highly recommend. Does it taste or is it tasteless? It has a taste to it, but like the spirulina does, but you put it in like like spinach and banana and it, it in like a smoothie. It just makes it green. Yeah. I don't mind a drink, green drink, though. I actually feel like it tastes very fresh and makes me feel healthy. It makes me feel healthy too. Yeah, like, I feel like I can conquer the world when yeah. I when I uh, have a green anything green in my system. I know it fuels you. It's you know, and that and money is green. That's true. So there you go. We're chasing paper out yeah, here. Yeah, we are. We sure are. <laughs> so I don't know if Autumn was hesitant to try the creatine because it was a newer method. There was very little research on it, or maybe you know some marital issues got in the way here. Mm-hmm. But. On April 17th, 2013, she was ready to try it. Mm-hmm. And so she texted Bob, I ovulate tomorrow. <laughs> and this will be a little spooky later, knowing what he said. But Bob replied, perfect timing. Creatine, smiley face. Okay, I don't think that's weird, though. Like You'll figure out why it's weird. Perfect timing? Like, I was just like... Like, perfect timing, creatine. But you'll figure out why it's weird because some things happen that make it a little shady. So the day goes on. On April 17th, Autumn finishes working and security footage shows Autumn leaving work. And 10 minutes later, she gets home. And only a short time passes before a call is made from Bob to 911. Oh, no. So Autumn is slumped on the kitchen floor. She's gasping for breath. Rob tells 911 that he thinks she's having a stroke. He's convinced she's stroking out. Because she's having a hard time breathing. Like, that's so weird. Yeah. And uh, he also says that he thinks she's seizing at one point. He's just throwing anything out there at that Yeah. Point. So later this comes back to bite him. Mm-hmm. So the medic at the time, his name's Steve Mason. He comes in. He finds Autumn on the kitchen floor. She's laying on her back. Her eyes are open and kind of blank. 
and she's unresponsive at this point. So they rush her to the emergency department at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. This is the same hospital where she works in the neuro unit. So there was some recognition by staff there of who this person was and kind of like the idea, oh, this is one of us, like this is our colleague, like we've worked with this person. So she arrives in critical condition. Um, She's got like a blank stare on her, very weak pulse. She's unable to maintain her own airway. So she Mm -hmm. ends up being intubated on a ventilator to help her breathe. Meanwhile, Bob comes in and he starts telling staff her medical history. And he says, okay, she gets headaches. She gets fainting spells. She is on fertility hormones because we're trying to conceive another baby. And generally, she just hasn't been feeling well lately. Um, And then again, he reiterates that she had a stroke. But is this a fertility meds increase your risk for having a stroke? Well, hormonal therapy increases your likelihood to clot Mm -hmm. like i know women on hormonal hormonal therapy on birth control Mm -hmm. can be more likely to be diagnosed with a dvt a deep Mm -hmm. vein thrombosis blood clot in their leg or arm like a long limb i think fertility meds also i'm sure they could because it's still it's hormonal therapy it's changing um those levels Mm -hmm. but anyway so he's convinced she's had a stroke Bob calls Autumn's parents, and they jump in the car. Remember, I think they're still in Baltimore area around this point. Mm -hmm. They jump in the car, immediately start driving to Pittsburgh. And it was so sad to hear Autumn's mom, Lois, recalling um, the drive there. Like, she was just so scared that she wouldn't make it there in time. Mm -hmm. So the ER team really doesn't know what's wrong with Autumn at this point. She has no hemorrhage on the CT because mm-hmm. initially when people come in and we're thinking stroke, which I think was the avenue that the medical team was going down at this time, mm-hmm. we get a stat CT scan of their head and we're looking for a bleed. And then we end up usually doing an MRI, but you can't do an MRI on an unstable patient. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. I'm guessing that they just did like diagnostic CT and are presuming she was negative, and then they, um, after she eventually passes, they do roll out a a stroke as a cause of death as well. So one strange thing that happened that'll come up later is a resident attempted an IV. That is very weird. I know. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, (laughs) it's usually the nurses. I've, I've, we've had doctors and writers uh, do ultrasound lines before, yeah. or I'm thinking maybe she had the central line placed. Mm. So a central line is kind of like a big IV that goes straight to the heart. If they're more like a, of a critical patient, we can give different meds that can help prolong that their life uh, mm. and make them stabilize um, easier than a peripheral IV. Mm-hmm. But usually it's not a resident that attempts the IV, so... But the resident did in this case, and he remembered that it was very strange that the blood was a, like, bright, cherry-colored neon red. That's so weird that I said cherry earlier. Mm. Cherry-flavored creatinine. Oh, yeah. Isn't that weird? Yes, that is weird. What a coinkydink. Coinkydink. So, the resident thinks this is strange, and it is bizarre. Usually, when you're starting an IV Mm -hmm. in a person, it's typically dark red blood mm-hmm. because blood in the venous system is deoxygenated there's no oxygen in it and the oxygen gives the red color of the blood 
So the blood in arteries is typically a brighter red because they're carrying oxygen-rich blood. But the blood obtained wasn't even like, oh, oops, like I'm in the artery. You know what I mean? That was like spurred out yeah, in an artery. And it was a bright neon, like artificial color. That's weird. Yeah. So the doctor ends up ordering a blood toxicology screen to look for any drugs. And Good. this is like the saving grace of this case because this comes in perfect timing at the end of the case. So the doctor orders that blood tax screen to look for any drugs or chemicals that might be present, but the results do take some time to come back. So Autumn's hospitalized. She ends up going into cardiac arrest, but the team was able to achieve ROSC, which is return of spontaneous circulation. Basically, this is when the heart rhythm normalizes, pulses are felt again, and perfusion to the body is restored. So she's stabilized. She ends up going on ECMO. And ECMO is a machine where Autumn's blood is pumped through a machine. It oxygenates the blood and removes carbon dioxide from the body in place of Autumn's heart and lungs. And then it goes back into her body to perfuse her body tissues. So this allows for the lung and hearts of autumn to rest and recover and i've never used ecmo in the ed i don't think very many ERs do but i know that they use it frequently in the icu mm -hmm. sharon's living in another state at this time remember this is autumn's cousin right but her and bob talk frequently and sharon recalls that he seemed frantic but still hopeful and she recalls him mentioning that he had some friends that were medical professionals that he was getting input from, and she was kind of, I think, made to think it was less severe than it actually is. Mm. And also Lois told Sharon to wait because they thought she would improve, which I'm not blaming anybody in this case. I mean, I think you want to hold on to hope as long as you can. Exactly. Also, Lois has no medical background, so I don't think maybe she understood how the severity of the situation. But on day two, um, Sharon recalls that Bob said that I am going to spend the last night with the love of my life. Sharon said that she really thought that there was still hope. Yeah, that's that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. However, on day three, Autumn's toddler, Sienna, was brought to the hospital to say her goodbyes. And later, Autumn was pronounced dead and the machines supporting her were turned off. So was Bob the one that made that decision? Yeah, so Bob, as her spouse, was the one who made the decision. I think Lois, um, and we'll talk about this too later, um, but Lois didn't have any real pull, but she did mm -hmm. present her opinion to Bob in making decisions. So Dr. Todd Lukasevic, he was the associate medical examiner for Allegheny County. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who started the autopsy. Mm -hmm. When someone passes in the hospital, um, the medical examiner's office is called and they make the call on whether an autopsy is warranted or not. Typically, the patient's family can also say if they want an autopsy or not. Mm -hmm. In this case, they did an autopsy because it was just a very unexpected, sudden nature. So when Dr. Lukasevic was doing the autopsy, 
he found a generally healthy woman. The only noted issue that he found was an abnormally shaped heart valve. And Dr. Lukasevic said that it was a congenital anomaly. This affects about 2% of the population. And when asked if this could have contributed to her death, he discounted it. I'm saying that she was asymptomatic and she was in her 40s. There's no way that it can be a contributing factor to her death. And congenital heart defect, that would be something she was born with. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's not something that she acquired over time. Congenital mm-hmm. is, uh, this is just for anyone not medical out there to clarify that. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Dee. I gotta watch out for my my fellow psych non-medical <laughs> folks out here we gotta stick together so the autopsy goes on for two days and after that point the body was brought to the funeral home but dr lukasebic had no official cause of death at this point mm-hmm. he's like i don't know what caused her death i have no definitive answer mm-hmm. so it was brought to the funeral the body was brought to the funeral home and at this point Remember that tox Mm -hmm. screen that was done? The bloodworks comes back from the lab, and they call the medical examiner's office with shocking results. She had a lethal amount of cyanide. Don't sleep on cyanide. Cyanide, if you ever smell almonds, it's cyanide. Mm -hmm. That's that's cyanide. I'm not saying when you go to the ice cream shop and you get an almond joy or whatever the hell, that it's cyanide. But if you smell almonds, be be on the lookout. Almonds. Almonds. Thank you, T. You're welcome. There's a little PSA to tell you all. So, cyanide is a uh, chemical. This chemical works really quickly to starve your body of oxygen. It's a colorless substance. It can be solid, liquid, or gas. Uh, um, sometimes it has a distinct, like D pointed out, has a distinct bitter almond scent. But the scent is not always discernible. People can breathe it in, consume it in food or water that is contaminated. Um, It can occur naturally in some foods like the pits or seeds of some fruits like cherries, apricots, pears, plums. This is the same chemical that was used in the Nazi death camps in killing millions of people. Cyanide can cause chest pain, chest tightness, dizziness, headache, trouble breathing, weakness, rapid or slow heart rate. In high doses, victims can rapidly decline. Mm. They can have loss of consciousness. They can suffer from seizures. They can under um, respiratory failure as well. So Autumn had 3.35 milligrams per liter in her blood. So that is a lethal amount. So Dr. Lukasevic, when he finds out about this alarming test result, he thinks, okay, I got to do tests to confirm and look for evidence of cyanide in other parts of Autumn's body. And so he calls the funeral home immediately because, remember, he's shipped the body to the funeral home. So he calls them, and unfortunately, the body had already been cremated by the funeral home. However, Dr. Lukasevic's medical examiner office had some blood samples left over from Autumn. Good. Well, don't they keep some of the organs, too? Like the brain they usually weigh and measure? And... I'm not sure. I would imagine. I would imagine. 
So luckily, they still had blood samples from Autumn's autopsy. So the toxicology unit performed tests looking for further evidence of cyanide. And the tests that they do to detect cyanide, they use like a dish with a pocket in the middle. And when the test is complete, if there's a purple color change in the well, like the middle hole, so it's a color change, it's like a purple color, then that means that there is a lethal amount of cyanide. Mm -hmm. So they do autumn sample and it turned a deep purple pink indicating a lethal amount. So Dr. Lukasevic is like, okay, I have my cause of death. Like, it's clear as day. This is cyanide poisoning. Mm. So, Dee, do you remember when the resident drew Autumn's blood and it was neon red? Mm -hmm. One sign of cyanide poisoning is bright cherry red blood. I just think it's so freaking weird. Mm Mm-hmm. That I said oh cherry flavor. <laughs> Don't you think that's freaking weird? That there is some kind of psychic, untapped psychic ability going on. There must be. There must I, be. I had vivid. I don't know, and I don't even really like cherry. I yeah, you don't. So there's so much oxygen on the cells in the blood, right? Mm-hmm. But the cells are not able to pick it up and utilize it. Because it's all blocked off by the cyanide. So basically the oxygen is trapped on the cells. Mm -hmm. And the the organs of the body are starved of oxygen because it's not getting to the organs. It's just staying in the blood. It's terrible. So um, another thing is the mucous membranes are typically bright pink because of the bright colored blood within the cells. Mm -hmm. Um, This is... Especially harrowing, if you recall, the 911 call that Bob made um, because Autumn was heard moaning, having a seizure per her husband, struggling to breathe, gasping for breath. And all of these indicate that her body was starved of oxygen. Oh, wow. This is a very, very painful death. Now here, the question is murder versus suicide. Deborah Bloom wrote the Poisoner's Handbook, and she gave input that, you know, cyanide is very toxic in small doses. A little bit can kill a person. And Deborah Bloom said the number one place where cyanide is found is in pharmaceutical labs or university labs. So research labs. like mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's usually not used to kill oneself because it's harder to find. So police detectives go on to Autumn's house uh, to question Bob. And the police detectives and Bob talk about the story of what happened. And he says, you know, Autumn arrived a little bit before midnight and she collapsed after walking through the door. Mm. Then he recounted what he told 911. And detectives tell him it was not a stroke. And they tell Bob the cause of death was cyanide. And I bet he just did not even know what to do. He gasped and he said, Why would she do that to herself? Suggesting that he was. She poisoned herself. That she had committed suicide. 
So Ferrante talks with them about fertility issues, that they've been using creatine, that she's been distressed. However, they're thinking suicide is unlikely, and I'll go into why. So first of all, Autumn did not work in a lab. She had a hands-on clinical Mm -hmm. role as a neurologist. Um, Footage the day of her murder shows that she was going up the escalator where she disappears for six minutes, and then she goes back down the escalator. So the question here is, could she have gone into a lab to get the cyanide during those six minutes where she disappears from footage? And... The answer here is that Autumn would have needed a special key card to get into the labs. Mm -hmm. When you have ID, it doesn't get you into every room, every department in the hospital. You have limited access to where you are able to be, where you're qualified to be. Mm -hmm. So, no, she did not go into a lab to obtain cyanide to poison herself. And six minutes is not enough time if you're not familiar with the lab to find anything. Never mind this one specific you know, vial yeah. that you're looking for. Exactly. So I don't it's ruled out because she had no access. So they also contribute, like, she had plans for the future. She had vacations scheduled. She had new research projects in development. She had her daughter that she loved so much. She was trying for another child. Like, mm-hmm. this is just, they're thinking, you know, suicide is just terribly unlikely. And so next they look at Bob. Of course, they're always going to look at the spouse first. And not for nothing. Suicide, uh, usually there's some kind of clinical indicator yeah. that they're struggling beforehand. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say always, but, you know, for this to just be out of the blue, yeah. totally unexpected. And it sounded like a very painful way to yes, go. Yes, exactly. Why would, why would you choose a very... Uh, Barbaric, yeah. Yeah, it's a very painful death. Mm -hmm. So, looking at Bob, the marriage between Autumn and Bob looked like a good marriage by outsiders. And Bob routinely worked with chemicals, but they didn't work with cyanide. So, detectives speak with Rob's, I'm sorry, detectives speak with Bob's lab associates And they denied working with cyanide. They said, there's no research that we do that involves cyanide. The investigation continues, and detectives are able to get enough to arrest Rob, but mostly it's circumstantial evidence. So Bob was in Florida visiting his sister. The detectives go to Florida to make the arrest, and Bob's sister said that he had gotten a call from his attorney, and he just said, I have to go hopped in the car, drove back, allegedly, to Pittsburgh. And um, attorney later said that this was to turn himself in. Hmm. However, he didn't make it to Pittsburgh. He was pulled over in West Virginia by state police and handed over to Pittsburgh. Bob ends up going on trial a year and a half after her death. So the trial had quite a bit going on. There was a lot of conflicting experts from both sides, conflicting blood work. The prosecutor, Lisa Pellegrini, argued to the jury that Bob was obsessed. He was jealous of his wife, that she was growing tired of him. He was losing control of her, and 
he killed her because of this. And Sharon weighs in, Autumn's cousin, weighs in that Autumn believed Bob had checked out. And she had told Sharon, he is a cold fish. And Autumn asked Sharon to ask, Sharon's husband's a psychologist. Mm -hmm. So Autumn asked her to ask him if there was a gene for compassion because Bob (laughs) is lacking it. So he was very cold. Yeah, she she insulted him mm-hmm. in a scientific freaking Yeah. So Autumn is checked out at this point. She told no, Sharon one, one. that she was thinking of leaving him. Mm-hmm. And prosecution brings up an email that Autumn sent to Bob a few months before her death that read, I can't even speak to you without getting angry. And she expressed how alone she felt in their fertility journey. Like she was just very frustrated, very lonely. Well, you know, it's probably a good thing that a child was not brought into the yeah, equation. Exactly. Cuz can you cuz no, they already have one. And poor little Sienna, but I know. Pre- when you're pregnant, abuse and domestic violence increases exponentially. That's true. So, maybe he was amping up in preparation for her. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. So, Bob found out that she had been texting and emailing a male colleague she oh, had no. spent time with at a conference in San Francisco. And, excuse me, he believed she was having an affair. However, Sharon is not buying this. She said that she denied any physical relationship between Autumn and some other man because she didn't tell Sharon. And Autumn and Sharon were very close. Autumn was telling her everything that was going on. So... Sharon said, no, that's just not accurate. Maybe there was some, like, flirtation or, like, text messages and emails. But I really think that a large part of this is that Bob was losing Autumn, Mm -hmm. and that's why this happened. Yeah. So um, Lois ends up testifying, and she said that Bob told her he did not want an autopsy. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. And Lois recalls that the reason... Bob said he didn't want it is people do autopsies and then people don't want to know the results, which I had to like hear repeatedly because I'm like, what? I don't understand. Like you, they don't want to know what caused the Like I'm like, why get the autopsy if you don't want to know the cause of death? I don't know. Maybe it's because we're in the medical field, mm-hmm. but I'm like, it's weird. It's that's a, a weird strange word. answer. Yeah. And Keep in mind, he's in the medical community. You mean he's in and research. wouldn't he want to know? Like he just dismissed it as a stroke. Yeah, and, and, an expo- and then that's it. The medical autopsy. examiner did an autopsy because it was medically warranted, and Lois, her mom, wanted an autopsy. Basically, he did not. I think that it's a red flag. He didn't want an autopsy because it was not definitive how she had passed away, stroke, who knows what else. Give him the answer. He's clearly trying to cover something up. And also, like, I feel like a lot of the time people want, like, families want, an autopsy because yes. of closure. Mm-hmm. Like you finally have an answer. It's like this death was so out of the blue. She was in her early 40s. Like this mm-hmm. was not expected. She was otherwise extremely healthy. Yeah. And for her to just randomly die, like something is going on and they want to know what's going on. Like what caused my loved one's death? Yeah. Especially because you have a young child together too. You need yeah. to know what the heck's going on and for the health of your baby as well. Exactly. You know? Yes. So 
Bob ended up actually being taken to the stand, and he had wanted to do this. Typically, this is discouraged because it makes the defense more vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and everything that they say can be used. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... They're they're literally testifying against the state. He's overcompensating and a narcissist. Yeah, so... um, Bob testifies, yes, we had been having a rough batch, and he said he was jealous, but he said, oh, we made up before her death, like weeks before her death, we made up. They actually went on vacation to Puerto Rico with their daughter, and when they returned, neighbors said that they were glowing, they seemed to be in love, they were holding hands. Bob testified that he did not want an autopsy because he said that Autumn wanted her organs donated. Which I'm, I still don't like. If my loved one was a organ donor and they died at a young age with no medical history, I would, I would, I don't care. I want an autopsy. Yes. Anyway, I think you could still donate something if you have an autopsy. Yeah. I don't I, think I it's all that. or nothing kind of thing. Yeah. I yeah. think that they could still like cornea skin, but I don't know for sure. Okay. Well, that's not very helpful, but... No, that is helpful. I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. I just assumed that was true. Let me Google it. But I don't know. Can I donate? Let me see. Yeah. Uh, Organ procurement for organ transplantation is a separate procedure that is performed by a surgical team in the operating room. Donating organs does not preclude the performance of an autopsy. In this case, the autopsy is performed in the autopsy suite after organs have been procured or removed by the surgical team. But also, like, I can't think how her organs would be viable. Like, no, not such as her, her organs wouldn't have even been viable to be donated. No, you know what I mean? Because they're poisoned. She's yeah, poisoned. Exactly. But that's, you know, that's not, uh, he's, he's throwing out, uh, what is it? Red herrings mm-hmm. to, you know, cover this up. But exactly. You, but, yeah. you know, the fact of the matter is, you can donate, you can make some kind of donation in the case if she was a healthy person, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's an oxymoron to say someone's a, a healthy person and dies unexpectedly like that, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, execution said that he had slipped cyanide into her drink. So, remember, she was going to drink the creatine when she mm-hmm. went home. So, Bob told a friend, a doctor friend, that he had made her a creatine drink before she collapsed. Oh, God. So she drank the creatine, swapped with cyanide. He didn't, he didn't tell the doctor friend that, but he told the doctor friend that, you know, I had given her creatine, and then she just collapsed, and it just went downhill from there. So um, actually, um, the prosecution were able to obtain his laptop, and it was found in an office safe. Mm. And searches were cyanide-related. Mm. There was, where do I purchase cyanide? How can I purchase it? What are the effects of cyanide, etc.? So then Bob went to the purchaser in the lab, and he goes, okay, I want to purchase cyanide. Wow. And he wanted it to be delivered overnight. And this was two days prior to the event that the first event that happened where 
she had collapsed and the 911 call was made. So perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Remember what his text was? Perfect timing. Right. Um, well, that's what you Yeah. Interestingly as well, there was a fingerprint left on the container of cyanide. And it belonged to Bob. He, you know, for someone that was supposed to be as highly regarded and yeah. renowned researcher, he is stupid. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that's brought up multiple times. Like, defense also, like, defended him saying, oh, like, that was so, that would have been so dumb. Like, <laughs> would that be the same as, like, someone buying a shotgun and then wife dies by a shotgun and then, uh, Turns out, oh, the spouse uh, had bought a shotgun. Oh, but it was for a hunting trip. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so stupid. Like, it makes no sense. Anyway, so defense is like, no, there's no way she died from cyanide. Like, we're not convinced. And they bring up how actually the lab messed up on the initial 3.35 milligrams per liter reading. And it was corrected to 2.2 milligrams per liter a few months later. It's still a lethal amount, exactly. But defense is like, okay, this is our a way for us to get our shoe in the door. Yeah. Like, this challenges the credibility of the lab. So other tests that were done weeks after her death showed an elevated level, but it's not lethal. And so really, it just tried, they, defense was trying to, like, target the credibility of the tests that were done so a lot of conflicting results were here defense actually brought in dr cyril weicht um he's a pathologist he's really famous actually he weighed in on john f kennedy's death elvis presley's death wow and he's like okay these labs should be sent to a like a third party toxicology lab and he's like, okay, there was also scarring around her heart. Um, maybe like there was some kind of electrical malfunction and maybe it was natural causes. There was no trace of cyanide in Autumn's home. And when Bob got the cyanide shipment at work, he had taken it out of the box and they argued that's why his fingerprint was on the container. But didn't his research assistants say that they did not use cyanide in any of their research? Yeah, so that's like the thing def- defense is saying. Oh, he just uh, has been planning, like he's going to be doing research. That's why he shipped it. Oh, a bunch of bullshit. It's like all new. Anyway, jury was not convinced. No. Um, jury said actually like, you know, I think Bob was prepared really well by his defense attorneys mm-hmm. and... They're like, we're not buying it. There was too many incidences in this story. And also shadiness on Bob's part. Like they brought up how in one instance he said he was downstairs when Autumn got home from work. And then in another instance, Bob said he was upstairs. Like it was just like mm. he had a lot of time to get his story right. And jury was, thank God they did not buy his story. Mm-hmm. And jury also said, like, oh, we are, like, very content with our ruling. Like, we are convinced this man is guilty, and we don't think there's a question about it. Like, we saw everything we needed to see. Good. So, Bob 
was found guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. And he has appealed the decision since. Anyway, I just thought this was a really tragic case that resulted in the death of a really promising, thriving young woman. So, anyway, Dee, do you have anything to add? I agree. And this is, I, I had looked up her picture online. Beautiful, young, vibrant, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, uh, successful professional. Mom, wife, mm-hmm. Very kind person, cousin. too. Very yeah. kind. All right. But I'm going to call it the time is 7-11. For all you me- medical and military folks, that would be 19-11. Good. Did you have to reverse it a little bit tonight? Keep everyone on their toes. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm. Feel free to like us, rate us, review us on Apple or Spotify. We also have an Instagram if you're interested. We're here every single Wednesday. Bye. Bye.